Hello and welcome to the Hybrid Coaching Podcast. Today's episode is going to be all around conditioning and how you can improve your aerobic base to go and play all the games and potentially even uh, compete at the National Fitness Game, which the um, the boys, Ali and Tom, the boys, the boys, the boys. as well as Miha and Connor, uh, managed to come third in, in the Elite Finals on Saturday. So... Well in, boys. Well in, the boys. Um, which was very impressive to watch. As you can hear, I still actually don't have a voice <laughs> five days later from all my shouting and coaching during the day. Um, they did extremely well after tanking a little bit in the first two events, unfortunately. <laughs> that second event was never in my life have I felt more incompetent and more like I want to quit than then ever. Yeah. And it was two, honestly, two minutes into a 25 minute event, I thought, if I stop, uh, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> you, you can, it's justifiable because it's too hard. That was literally, I said to Di, like the first kind of fitness thing that I've done that I was like, actually don't, I really don't want to be here. I really, I really don't want to be here. And then Connor was on the floor every time saying, Boys, I can't do another one. How's that? Oh, fuck, we got to do another one. <laughs> it was uh, both heartbreaking and highly amusing to watch. We'll um, we'll carry on talking about it in a second. We'll firstly get away, get the announcements out of the way. Um, we've got our first workshops of the autumn in the diary of the new season. Of the new season, <laughs> the prob- quite possibly the only workshops of autumn. Uh, if you are in Bristol or could get yourself into Bristol on the 26th of October uh, or the 23rd of November, and we are running our handstand workshop out of Sweatbox in Bristol. So both those workshops are live now on our website if you want to come and play handstand with us. Um, but then back to NFG a little bit, because they actually managed to pull it back from two dire performances <laughs> to two incredible performances and finish third overall. Was chalk and cheese, wasn't it? It was. Mate. Chalk and cheese is funny, isn't it? Because yeah. I don't really understand. Like, they're just why? What is the? That's, where does that come from? That's a, they both start with a ch. Yeah, and you'd never that ever mix them. Yeah, <laughs> like, you could just you could just say anything. It's like yeah, you could. Mm. It's like wood and stone, isn't it? No, they nah. don't start with the same letter, mate. Okay, so it's got to be alliteration. Yeah, and also wood and stone. People used to build houses with them, so yeah. they they actually you can put them together. together. Yeah. When do you ever use they chalk highly, and cheese together? Highly compliment each other, <laughs> but they're not opposites, are they? No, they're just different. Yeah, like but you for, say, form form a link but between you the use two. Chalk of them. and cheese to describe an opposite. Uh, actually, they both have lots of calcium. It does calcium carbonate? Is it? Yeah. Oh, that maybe is. maybe that's why then. Hmm. There's the link. <laughs> There's the link. But like when you, when you say chalk and cheese, you 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 always use it as they're like complete opposites. Yeah. They they have a different Dif- texture, think, don't they? But like <laughs> different and opposite, well, so different things. Different. Yeah, you use it to describe an opposite, and chalk and cheese are not an opposite; they're just completely different things. And maybe that's what they're like, used for then. Yeah, like left and right—that's the opposite. Maybe it's maybe you're not trying to describe an opposite though. Maybe you're just describing something. Very how, when you've you said chalk and cheese, how have you used it? I, t- I can't remember the last time I used <laughs> it. To be honest, <laughs> uh, you might use it to describe two people who. Uh, 
like are very different to each other. They're in a relationship and people are like, oh, chalk and cheese. <laughs> <laughs> you have to say it in that like slightly resigned voice yeah. as well. <laughs> Where your voice goes up at the end yeah. a little bit. <laughs> chalk and cheese. <laughs> Maybe a northern voice as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, before we go on with the podcast, uh, Ali, fact of the day. day. All right, yeah, so... Uh, this fact was very generously sent in via the ever so lovely Jane Kemp. Uh, Jane is one of our online clients and is potentially one of the sweetest ladies you'll mm. ever Makes get. Makes a fucking excellent cake. She does make it? a fucking excellent cake. She is a lovely, lovely person. But she sent in a very good, very good fact. The a. I, <laughs> so, um, a T-Rex lives closer in time to an iPad Pro yeah. than to a Stegosaurus. That's not... Did you know that one? I didn't know that one, but I can believe it yeah. quite easily. Yeah. What are the areas? Uh, was the T-Rex... Go on, I've actually got the... Go on. ...alive in the Cretaceous period? Uh, it was the whatever the last period was. <laughs> you can you can answer it in just uh, millions of years ago. So T Rex was alive from no idea how many millions. Seven. No, many more. I've got no idea. I literally can't conceptualise time that yeah, long ago. <laughs> There's um, an excellent Kizagat video that puts. Um, is it Kizagat? They put the like time frames into. Yeah. Like to try and help you conceptualise uh-huh. how long ago things are, and it's. <laughs> So nuts, like, yeah, it's not possible to, to work. Well, out. Um, we should link that video, actually, we should for sure. Yeah. It's, it's really quite hard to wrap your mind around, but it's really interesting. So, the <laughs> T Rex lived from 70 to 65 million years ago, which is quite interesting, really, because it means it only lived for five million years mm. out of a very, very long period of dinosaurs. Mm. And I guess how long ago the Stegosaurus lived. More than that. More than that. Again. Yeah, exactly. So it's got to be at least 140. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 250. 150 to 155. Wow. They all have quite narrow yeah, spans. That's, that's, yeah, that's, that's what I'm taking from this as well. Yeah. <laughs> also, the ancient Egyptians are more ancient to the Romans than the Romans are to us. Technically not, though. Well, the start of their dynasty yeah. is more ancient. I think uh, they mean the period where they were like building the pyramids and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, the Great Pyramid. The Great um, Pyramid of the Egyptians. Yeah. The civilization was unified around 3100 BC, apparently. Apparently, true. And what do you make of the idea that aliens came down and built the pyramids? Uh, I think there's some merit to it. <laughs> <laughs> It's very plausible. <laughs> I think they built they, um, Anchor Wat as well. Yeah, and they bought all sorts of um, clay with them that had excellent <laughs> digestive properties. More uh, to be discovered on that's that. That's a, a very, very inside <laughs> joke that you'll learn next week on the podcast. Maybe we should preface this by saying that none of us believe the aliens put the pyramids. What? <laughs> no, no, we don't. We don't. None no, of us, no. or that clay has any particularly special digestive properties. For future reference. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right then. Um, so if we move on with the podcast, oh, yeah. uh, programming for conditioning. 
What does that mean to you, Tom? Programming for conditioning. Well, what do you think? What do we think that conditioning means to most people? Just breathing a bit harder, isn't it? Is Ali? Um, conditioning. Everyone's really what conditioning actually is. Is there's a. It's very specific to whatever event, sport, or modality of exercise you're actually working towards. So, like yeah. conditioning for football. Um, suggests you can make it through a whole game and you're you'll be able to like sprint when you need to and recover when you need to. Yeah. Whereas like conditioning for a power lifter is like okay then on the when you're pulling your deadlifts in the last part of the day, you can pull your actual deadlift and you're not just completely fucked from yeah. lifting all day. So like conditioning does actually make a big difference depending on what sport we're talking about. But really what it is is the is your like ability to reproduce really high effort outputs in a given period. Yeah. So for the sake of this podcast, we're going to assume that conditioning is probably what most like mm-hmm. gym goers now assume conditioning is sort of since the rise of CrossFit and people assume that conditioning is yeah, basically being able to do things that are very, very hard for quite a long time. Uh-huh. Um, so we're not talking specifically about conditioning for specific sports. Um, unless potentially we're talking about conditioning for CrossFit or like fitness sports, like like the national fitness games that the boys competed in, um, and we're going to go, we're going to go through like a really brief rundown of um, what are the components uh, of um, of like your your ability to be fit, your your different energy systems, um, what some of the adaptations are that we want to see to improve those, and um, what are some of the ways that we can we can actually like go about then improving them, um, and why some of the ways that people often go about trying to improve it are probably at best not helpful, and at worst actually making things worse. <laughs> just <laughs> being hard also for hard's sake, terrible yeah. and stupid <laughs> in general. It's it's <laughs> like doing a national fitness games event. event to actually mm. train to be better at the National Fitness Games. Yeah. And that we, we spoke about this. Bit but I think that, that, that's literally what most people think yeah. you need to do to improve your conditioning is do yeah. that. Yeah, but we, we, we've spoken about this before between us. But basically, the sort of like there may be <laughs> so doing those really, really hard conditioning sessions, there may be some benefit to do them every so often. So like once every couple of weeks, from a kind of mental fortitude perspective and like knowing that you can actually do like do that but How the actual tom for saying mental fortitude because <laughs> <laughs> i'm quite upset that he's just said that i can't believe the words that left his mouth if i'm honest i knew that would annoy you he looked me in the eye while he said it i feel so violated <laughs> i think the reality is you, you just when if you're practicing for an event um, you need to pra- you you do need to practice. Yeah. You need to practice that what, event what, at what that, that intensity. Sometimes. What that sort of feels like. Uh, so doing stuff that is hard is relevant to a very hard event. Yeah, but it's all it's useful to think about it in terms of like training for any other sport. Um, so, for example, if you were training for rugby, you wouldn't go and train two or three times a week and play a, a game of rugby. 
they'd be stupid. You'd be so injured, mm-hmm. yeah. you wouldn't imp- be able to improve any of the qualities that make you a better rugby player. Or like MMA or mm-hmm. other sports. Like You don't see people go in and train for their sport by just fighting each other constantly. But you wouldn't even think that. No. It's a stupid thing to think. But then as soon as you think about it in this context, people think that just training really hard all the time yeah. It's going to help them. If we think but about I, it from a like a CrossFit perspective, yeah, because that's like the the it's it's, it's such an obviously because CrossFit's so massive, um, <laughs> and like a lot, lots of lay people have seen the games, um, who probably just like just watched it on Netflix as a documentary. The way, the best way to prepare for a cross to, to, for a CrossFit Games athlete is absolutely not mm. to constantly do games events, because. You, like 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 I was saying, if you're a rugby player, you're not just going to keep playing rugby to try and get better at rugby. You are going to get so injured, so beat up, and it is going to be a terrible way to actually improve your ability to play rugby. That you, you if you go and watch a, a training session, there's going to be um, lo- loads of drills. There's going to be loads of like scenario practice. And if you think about that, that's like let's say you, ha- you had some squats in the actual workout, then. You could specifically train for squats in a workout by doing squats mm-hmm. and not putting them in an overall workout. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. getting a stronger squat will make your squat stronger in some some conditioning session, yeah. but just doing squats in a manner where you're always out of breath, beat up, is probably not actually the best way to get better at squatting. To always do it under fatigue. No. So I think if we strip this back and go back to. Just give a quick rundown of your different energy systems and the different um, ways that your body basically fuels activity. Um, Tom, can you quickly go some? Because I can't talk for extended periods <laughs> of time currently. Yeah, <laughs> that's fine. I'm going to go get so, my asthma pump. <laughs> so this basically exists as a continuum. It's not literally like you go from one, once that's used up, straight into the next one, straight into the next one. They all act together. Um, but depending on what task you're performing, certain ones will preferentially act. So to start with, we've got um, the creatine phosphate system, which generally is what you create energy from in the first 10 to 15 seconds of any exercise, which is why taking creatine and uh, like having a good amount of creatine in your system is actually an excellent idea because that's how you produce energy for the like that first 10 to 15 seconds. So if you're doing any kind of strength work, anything like that, that's where that energy comes from. So that's all. Um, that's alactic, which means um, you produce that energy without the need to have any um, oxygen. Um, and then basically from there, we've got anaerobic fed um, glyco- uh, glyco- <laughs> glycolytic. glycolytic. Um, energy system, which again is fed not uh, without oxygen. Um, yeah, so that's like the really sort of high intensity but prolonged duration. Yeah. So this is the sort of energy system that a lot of people like associate with training when they're doing conditioning, doing things that make you feel really, really out of breath. Um, and that is done, it's called like your anaerobic energy system because it's done in the absence of oxygen. And produces as a byproduct lactate, which is what people associate with a burning in their muscles. We're going to go through why that's not necessarily it's not lactic acid like some people think it is. Um, then the third 
the main system people use is their aerobic system, which can be fed by either glycogen or fat, depending on um, how intensely you're exercising. Um, for the purposes of conditioning and exercise, we're probably not ever going to be purely um, fed by fat. So it's almost always still uh, fed by uh, like um, some amount of glycogen. Um, and that is what most people think of when you're going for like a long run, the predominant energy system when you're doing like bouts over a minute. Um, so even if you're lifting in the gym, you're still going to be fairly heavily reliant on your aerobic energy system to recover in between sets. So it's actually really, really important. If you were to go through some examples of like uh, just basic events where someone would use their um, like fossil creatine system versus their um, glycolytic system versus their aerobic system, what would some like Olympic-based events of that sort of seem to be? So probably the best example of like an alactic, like creatine phosphate-based event would be Olympic weightlifting. Mm -hmm. Like purely the event, the, the each lift is done in well under three seconds exactly, yeah. um, of like effort. Uh, so that's probably like it's probably one of the few examples mm -hmm. of a purely alactic sport. Yeah, I think like um, um, shot put. Yeah, yeah. Again, like it's, it, it is you're producing enormous amounts of uh, power really, really, really quickly. Almost every single it's, it nothing really um, like Tom was saying. It all exists on a continuum, and like at every single point, every single system is kind of working. Mm. Like if you think about your aerobic system, unless you're not breathing, then your aerobic system is working. Mm -hmm. So even like even in a shot putter is still using their aerobic system. It's just that for that, when they produce that um, initial uh, force to, 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 to launch the shot put or the Olympic lifter pulls the barbell, then for that bout of energy, for that, mat, that enormous power output burst, almost all that comes from the stored ATP uh, in their muscles. Yeah, because obviously it's not the time frames themselves can be a little bit misleading. So it's not necessarily that it's not that the first ten seconds of your activity are mm -hmm. lactic, because that might just be walking, which mm -hmm. is obviously yeah. extremely low intensity aerobic and always fed by pretty much all fat. Um, but then, so moving on to like your glycolytic system, um, you're probably looking at events like around a four hundred meter sprint. It's like a very good example of mm -hmm. like a, an event that relies heavily on your glycolytic system, which is where like after a minute's effort, you, you're done. Mm -hmm. You like could not run any faster than that for any longer. Any other events? Well, I mean, even e even like a two hundred like a, a two hundred meter run. Is it, yeah. So a, a sort of um, you see some sprinters will do the uh, the one hundred meters without taking a breath. They'll just mm -hmm. literally go yeah. <laughs> not breathe, <laughs> which is fucking mental. <laughs> but like um, I mean, e e even in a two hundred meter race, like guys that are doing it in twenty seconds, they're fucking breathing and they're trying to yeah. get as and, and and if you think about the fact that yes they are not produced the oxygen that's going into their body is probably not helping them is it is it is not getting turned over fast enough to get any more atp out of um, them doing that thing but if they weren't breathing for 20 seconds they would actually perform worse mm -hmm. so it all does exist on a, on, on a spectrum but almost all their energy that they're producing is coming from um the Anaerobic, the the pathways that don't require any oxygen, uh, oxygen there, they're just like stored um, energy, energy energy substrates that we can use to yeah. get energy really really quickly. Yeah. So then, on the like further down the continuum, 
probably exercises that are purely aerobic are like going for a long walk mm-hmm. um, where you, you really can stay at a really low heart rate and maintain for almost indefinitely. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's some really nice examples of what would be like really show how it is a continuum and different things can be used at different times. Could be watching um, a race like a 5k event, yeah. which is a, which is an aerobic time time frame, like heavily dependent on your aerobic system. But at any given point in that race, you'll see people like making pushes, um, making little sprints, and then especially the sprint finish will use like heavily rely on your glycolytic and alactic energy systems to fuel those like high intensity bursts. Um, and then while you're not doing those uh, using those bursts, you can replenish those energy systems, which is why you can make repeated bursts of power. Mm-hmm. Um, which is why being aerobically de- like having a good aerobic system is really really useful because it lets you perform at a repeated in, like a high intensity more often and with less rest yeah so, so like as a kind of general rule someone who is has a better aerobic base will be better able like how they actually produce that energy is going to vary for someone who's very sort of who doesn't have a good aerobic base so um someone who doesn't have a good aerobic base essentially like they're going to burn through glycogen much much quicker than someone who has a very good aerobic base because they can essentially like synthesize some of their energy or like potentially a little bit more of their energy from fat sources um which just like for example for a crossfit athlete doing like a fairly long duration workout or repeated workouts that's going to be really useful as opposed to say someone just trains for powerlifting they're going to burn through their glycogen really quickly and potentially as a result not even be able to get as many sets in as if they had a slightly bigger aerobic base and that that's why this is important for like everyone not just people that, like mm-hmm. that want to do crossfit or want to do a fitness event or, or want to play football or that sort of thing it's literally it applies to everyone so if we talk about some of the adaptations that would make someone like generally fitter better conditioned and have it have this sort of like better aerobic system um then one of the things that we've got to talk about initially is having the, like an improvement to your your heart is like stronger and having an improved vascular system um, and this applies in a couple of ways so not only do you actually create more capillaries in your like peripheral muscles and your muscles are more like perfused with capillaries this means that you can like get more blood into and also get more waste products out of your muscles um, but also the heart itself actually grows, gets stronger um, over time. And the heart is as a separate uh, vascular network, which feeds itself and the arteries around it, which is also improved when you have, when you're like adapted to aerobic exercise. Um, it's also able to pump more volume of blood per stroke. So you don't have to like have as high a heart rate to get as much blood around your muscles. And also my favorite, uh, my favorite adaptation to sort of endurance training is you increase the number of mitochondria, which I particularly like because it makes me think of mitochondrions in Star Wars, which are how people use the force. So I like to think that endurance training might one day unlock the ability to fire force lightning at people. That's a, that would be great, wouldn't it? Yeah, um, it hasn't happened yet, unfortunately. Um, but basically, mitochondria are, um, if we think of them like little power stations inside your cells that use glycogen and fat 
fatty acids in your blood to create new ATP for your muscle to produce movement and energy. Um, so that's why increasing the number of these that you have makes you both more efficient at using glycogen and using fat. So this is often what people talk about when they talk about like fat adapted athletes. Um, it just means that they have run, they actually have a better aerobic base. So they are able to use fat more efficiently as a substrate, but they're also able to use glycogen more mm -hmm. efficiently. So they won't burn through glycogen as quickly as someone who is relying very heavily on their lactate system because using lactate as a substrate um, is a much, much less efficient way of converting uh, energy into ATP. Yeah, so probably worth mentioning um, for anyone who's heard ATP loads of times and thought, <laughs> what the fuck is that? <laughs> so like, ATP can be thought of as like the, the energy currency that our bodies use to like just do everything. And um, they're just, it's, it's called adenosine triphosphate. And essentially, um, by breaking down this molecule and producing um, so adenosine with three phosphates, by breaking down this molecule, you produce adenosine with two phosphates, ADP and a phosphate. And that that chemical reaction actually gives off energy, which we, which we then use to then to do things. Um, and so like I was saying, our mitochondria <clears throat> literally use um, either fat or carbohydrate, combine that with oxygen through fucking this long ass thing called the Krebs cycle. <laughs> and that essentially produces ATP in a much more efficient way than any other um, way of producing ATP. However, it's slow and it doesn't allow for high output um, production, which is why we have those other ones that are there ready to go <clears throat> whenever we need them. Um, so if someone is, um, and, th and, and this is why like a, a lot of endurance athletes, this is what, um, what I was going through was, was sort of the, the idea behind people being fat adapted or um, able to use more fat at higher um, VO2 maxes, so like with a higher, more fat with a higher heart rate, that can be really beneficial because if you're, you've got so much body fat on your body, like you can like you can run for ages or walk for ages just using your body fat. Most people have got like you know between sort of sixty and a hundred thousand calories worth. If they're if they're like even even at like ten percent body fat, yeah. um, you just got so much body, you just got so much fat as, as an energy source. Whereas like you've only got hundreds of grams of carbohydrate really stored. So so so, you, so if you're running a marathon, you can just burn through those really really fast if you're running too fast. And that's what um and that's that's why when you're doing long duration stuff, you want to make sure that you're not working too hard so that you save those um carbohydrates essentially for later in the later in the race or later in the workout so you can you can finish a lot stronger um but yeah so the 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 more fat that you can use at higher intensities uh that can essentially mean that you can save the, that glycogen for late for later in the race which is which is pretty beneficial yeah because your glycogen stores are much more finite than fat stores are you probably so, get way too bored of doing whatever you're doing before yeah. you run out of fat. Yeah. <laughs> or die of something else. <laughs> die of thirst. <laughs> um, so all these adaptations sound excellent. Uh, of course, these adaptations, the, these are just the ones that are specific to your ability to perform exercise. There's obviously lots of other like really good adaptations that are 
like great for your health, like lower resting mm-hmm. heart rate, improving longevity, like being cardiovascularly fit is one of the things that is there's the highest like link with living a longer life like being healthy for longer which is obviously excellent yeah, yeah pretty sure. much improves like health markers across the board mm-hmm. so definitely worthwhile so all these adaptations are excellent um so how do we go about getting them so again it's, it's going to depend on um which specific adaptation you're looking for yeah and i think this is where um this is where like your physiology is very different to um, just what kind of feels hard. Mm. Like, just because something feels hard doesn't necessarily mean it's a good way of improving that thing. Yeah, um, I think if you spoke to most people, even relatively like high level athletes, mm-hmm. and asked and they and said you need to improve your conditioning, they're probably going to do something that looks a little bit like CrossFit as like a finisher or something uh-huh. like. That's what they think of, like hit workouts, mm-hmm. CrossFit, like things that probably take about 10 to 15 minutes. So, so, I mean, I hear all the time, I need my conditioning to improve. Okay, what are you going to do? I'm going to do um, 20 seconds on, uh, 10 seconds off <laughs> on the air bike, three sets, and and, and that's it. And because and, and it, I feel awful afterwards, it must be doing mm. me loads of good. And it's like, yeah, that's really hard. It's really, really hard. Like, ad- it's admirable that you want to work so hard, yeah. but but the reality is, you may well actually get a better performance output from getting on a on a um, on a watt bike and just spinning your legs at a, a heart rate of like one thirty for half an hour. That would actually give you a bigger aerobic base, and that's probably going to yield a better. Um, your, that would allow you to recover faster. Bet- for an MMA fighter, let's say between rounds, than just having killed yourself on an airbag a few times. Hmm. So actually, it's interesting you said twenty ten because that's that sort of work rest interval. So twenty seconds of work, ten seconds of rest is like quite infamous now. It really, as being like the Tabata pro- protocol. Mm-hmm. So you always see people like, like most people who've been to the gym sort of have heard of Tabata, <laughs> and all they think of it as is. 20 seconds of work, 10 seconds of rest, and people will mix up all sorts of different exercises and call it Tabata. Um, and it's off, it's one of the studies that is most quoted for uh, to prove that high-intensity training um, is as beneficial as like long, slow distance, sort of like more standard aerobic training. Um, but the likelihood is 99% of people who think they're doing Tabata are not doing what Tabata actually was anyway. So Tabata is um is Dr. Tabata from Japan. Um, and the study they did only applies if you do it on a bike or like a machine with a really, really like high output but low uh, like resistance. So if you're doing Tabata cleans or push-ups, it doesn't count. It's not Tabata. Stop calling it Tabata. Um, it has to be on a, a like probably like a Watt bike or a wooden gate an exercise bike is um is probably the only thing that you can get a high enough output on, but without any resistance in, or like low resistance. Um, and the actual protocol was 30 minutes at 70% of your max heart rate, which is <laughs> your, like really easy, zone two aerobic. Um, and then one bout, eight rounds of 20 seconds, 10 seconds rest. <laughs> so unless you're doing that, you're not doing Tabata. And everyone always forgets about the 30 minute, mm-hmm. um, the aerobic training that you did before you did 
that that one thing that almost certainly is making the biggest difference. Yeah, I think I think it works out literally about an eighty twenty split of yeah. like low intensity to high intensity training, which is shockingly what like actually works. Yeah. Um, but that that's the study that's quoted most often for proving that hit training is really good and has all the same benefits as it's incredible low intensity training, which is just not true because the majority of the actual study was low intensity training. It's nuts, isn't it? It's crazy. It's four yeah. sessions a week, thirty minutes, seventy uh, percent um, max rest, max heart rate. I just, and then it's unbelievable. <laughs> thirty minutes of and the actual even work. the twenty second bout, I think, is like eighty five percent. It's not. A, yeah, yeah. It's it's nowhere near like a max. Well, just I mean, if it was a hundred percent, twenty seconds on, ten seconds off, eight times, you can't perform it no. <laughs> so you're not doing Tabata shut up and stop calling it Tabata <laughs> <laughs> unless you do 30 minutes of steady state before yeah and you do eight which is probably which, which, by the way is probably an excellent protocol. oh really really good protocol. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's not what most people do um, so the main reason that like high intensity training doesn't work or doesn't necessarily cause the same adaptations and the same benefits as what we're going to go on to basically like aerobic training is that your heart rate is just too high. So your, your heart can't fill sufficiently. So you don't get the same benefits to your like vascular system that you would if your heart was at a slower heart rate because your uh, ventral, like your heart can't fill fully with blood in between each stroke. So you actually only get any sort of hypertrophy in your left ventricle. So is that because obviously with the, when, when, uh, when the heart beats, for every beat, it would shut and yeah. then expel. So your heart's got like um, it's got four chambers, but essentially it allows blood into it, and then all those chambers shut, and then it allows blood allows blood out of it, and then blood shoots up to the heart. Uh, so, so if your if your heart rate's really 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 high, not enough blood goes in when the um, when the chambers are open, and thus your heart never gets that um, the the it never fills. What's the um, word for that? Um, Lehman something. Mm, somewhere else. Yeah, I can't remember the name of it. But yeah, so it, it never fully. Like I say it never fully fills, and as a result of that, you it, it, it just doesn't hypertrophy in the same way. No, only the um, the left uh, like the left ventricle ends up hypertrophying. So this is like sometimes you see that uh, resistance training gets your heart rate up, so it must be as good as aerobic training, and it's not true because it works in a very very different way because of the like the um so when you perform like a valsalva maneuver mm -hmm. and contract your muscles really hard as well it stops it actually occludes venous return so blood return into your heart which is another mechanism by which your heart doesn't fill fully so you don't mm -hmm. get the same uh like beneficial adaptations in your like your vascular system like your blood your blood supply valsalva effect is when you hold mm. your breath essentially when you so take that, a big breath of air, it's how you should squat. Yeah, right? so mm -hmm. before you do a deadlift or a squat or whatever, take a big, big breath in, and you sort of hold that air in. <clears throat> but, um, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then, similarly to that, so you, you don't get the same, like, oxygen transfer in your muscles because of the, uh, like, occlusion of blood. So when, you're, when your muscles contract under, like, a high load, they actually occlude blood flow. So you don't get blood flow into the muscles, which means that you can they can only operate under anaerobic, like so situations where there is no oxygen. So you don't get the same sort of benefits 
and the increase in like mitochondria that you would if you were exercising in the presence of oxygen in the muscles which is like one of the main adaptations that you want to drive mm -hmm. so if you're thinking about improving your conditioning <laughs> you probably shouldn't do hit training or crossfit initially because there actually is some evidence that if you do have a really well-developed aerobic system already that those limitations don't actually apply as much so you can actually um operate under high load and muscle contraction forces if you are already like quite aerobically fit but if really? you aren't yeah hmm. but if you aren't then what's a sort of good starting place to try and improve your conditioning uh Two to three sessions a week, around about seventy percent of your max heart rate for about half an hour, and that, honestly, when you try that, is a lot easier than you would ever think it is. Mm -hmm. It is so much easier than you think it is. Like, yeah. and when Ali says easier, he means harder because <laughs> if you tried to, like, you would think oh, I'm going to go out for a half hour one there, yeah. you probably won't be able to do it and keep your heart rate down, mm -hmm. like. You'll end up walking for most of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like literally that, that ends up being like a fast jog walk for most people. And like if you jump on a if you jump on a um on a bike and do it, mm. it's probably the easiest thing to do it on is a is a bike. Yeah, yeah. Because just just being outside, especially if you're running outside, by virtue of like changes in terrain, slight inclines, all that sort of shit all that sort of shit. Um it's very hard for you to stay in that heart rate zone. Um, the thing is that like, you don't want to say oh don't go and run outside no. that's not what we're saying at all what we're saying is like for the actual um, specific improvement of improving your aerobic capacity so that you are better conditioned and can recover quicker so you can perform higher outputs again sooner 30 minutes 30 to 60 minutes maybe um, at 70% of your max heart rate is by and large, the best way for most people to do that. And it is a lot less output um, in terms of like how fast you're spinning the pedals or how fast you're running than you probably would ever, ever assume is even causing any difference. Yeah. Um, and that's probably why it's easiest to just get on a bike inside. Or like, I mean, if you, if you think about walking uphill quick, your heart rate is probably at like 160. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's... So, you, so like walking uphill is too hard. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so like it, it is hard to get that low, and it feels like, what's the point? Oh, I'm feeling good today. I'm I, I'm just gonna I'm I'm like, I'm gonna run quicker. I'm gonna run quicker. I'm gonna cycle faster, and um, it's all well and good thinking that quicker is always better and faster is always better. But if you're actually just wanting to improve this specific area, it potentially isn't. Mm -hmm. So I think particularly for like powerlifters or people who are like are worried about sort of losing strength or mm. losing muscle mass as a result of adding in some conditioning, doing something like that will have practically like pretty much no impact. If anything, it probably actually feel more recovered from doing that than like than what you what than what you think. Like it it won't really have any like you've not like going for a walk or going for a cycle. You've got no impact. So yeah, you you're not really gonna like make any sort of negative adaptation in terms in terms of your strength by adding yeah. something like that in. Why might a powerlifter wanna be more conditioned? 
We said, uh, we said at the start. You can't be big and jacked if you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's true. According to the graphic. Yeah. The we said at the start that like <laughs> a conditioning for a powerlifter is being able to produce uh, repeated single uh, or repeated one RMs and and be able to essentially do their max lift in a squat, bench, and deadlift. Um, but why why would it be really beneficial for a powerlifter to be more conditioned and not so conditioned? So one of the things like we know to progress as a powerlifter, you need to like accomplish a certain amount of volume mm-hmm. to progress your lifts. Um, now powerlifters, especially if we're talking about like big powerlifters, like at high weight categories, who are extremely strong, getting in that volume of training is actually really hard if you're unfit. Mm-hmm. Those sessions will take so long. So just having a slightly better aerobic base, so you actually recover within those sessions and between those sessions better is, is really, really useful. So they can just, actually get the volume of training they need to do to progress their, their lifting yeah, but yeah. both as a result of feeling better when they're in the gym and not feeling completely gassed out from putting their knee sleeves on um but also from a perspective of like the energy substrates are actually using for that as well if if their heart rate is a bit lower they're probably going to be utilizing slightly more fatty acids rather than just burning through all glycogen and it's not like it's unlikely that they'll like completely wipe out all their glycogen stores but if you can keep that topped up as much as possible, your training quality is going to be much better over the course of a week anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And obviously, so a lot of these things we're talking about are like the optimal way to improve your conditioning would be to do those three three to four sessions a week, um, keeping your heart rate really, really low. In actuality, that might be quite boring to mm-hmm. do. Um, like Ali was saying, it's actually really, really hard to do that when you go for a run because you might have to just stop and walk all the time. So one of the one of the best ways to actually include this and not be completely bored is to find a mate and go for a run where the, the like the goal of the run is to be able to talk constantly mm-hmm. all the way through because the likelihood is if you're always able to talk at like actually at a conversational level so not like hey Ali <laughs> slow the fuck down <laughs> you're too fast um, but actually hold like a normal conversation about things. Then you're you're probably like not too far off, um, yeah. being at the right heart rate zone, yeah, for sure. and it isn't completely boring. Mm-hmm. And also, you can then stop and do some handstands if it gets a bit hard. Yeah. And and like you know that mm-hmm. like that that's actually how we sort of apply this mm-hmm. is to go for like a slightly longer run together, where the goal isn't to run at a certain pace, but just to have a chat. Yeah, it's, it definitely is worth mentioning that like, um, for our personal training, like I. I can never track heart rate. Like, no. I just can't bother with that shit, really. Um, the watches look shit, so forget it. Um, <laughs> I didn't see that. Tom's wearing one right now. <laughs> but like, um, <laughs> but the you haven't got to be all like you can be as anal as you want about things. Mm. But just just like for like I was saying for general improvements in cardiovascular fitness, which have a cascade of um, positive impacts across the board. Uh, for your overall health, just go get a mate and run and chat. Yeah, and it is exactly. like, and it is, so, and think about how easy that is versus going and trying really hard in a run for half an hour. Yeah, think about how many more times you're likely to do that, and actually consistently get in thirty to sixty minutes, a couple times a week, um, really regularly. Like people say, they hate running. And it is always because they run too quick 
Yeah. Don't run and really quick because you're going to find it shit. Yes, yeah, it's, it's so hard when you run fast. Yeah, yeah. really hard. But like the other day, was it like two weeks ago? Me and Ali went for went for a run mm-hmm. and ended up doing like accidentally like a half marathon. Mm-hmm. But the but it was done at like a pace we mm-hmm. we literally talked com- like had a conversation the entire time. At no point was I like ever really tired. Mm-hmm. The reality is that, that that's too far. Yeah. Like it's quite hard on joints. Like. But, but the premise is it was an fairly easy. The the goal was we go for a run, just chatting for, just chatting the whole way. Yeah. And as a result of that, you can actually go pretty fucking long way and be fairly recovered um, the next day to just do normal training again. Yeah. So like and like I said, none of us actually really track heart rate or do do some of these like the most optimal ways of doing this ourselves in our training. But the whole point of um, sort of mentioning it is just to prove that you don't need to beat your head into a brick wall doing stupidly hard workouts mm-hmm. that just make it really hard to recover and aren't even actually helping you get fitter. Yeah, yeah. Like almost making it harder for you to improve because all you want to do is leave the gym in a pile of sweat <laughs> and, and, and feel really beat up. Yeah. Um, like there's by smart training is hard training. If you train like people train, oh, train harder, not smarter. It's like, no, if you want to actually get really, really good at something, you're going to have to fucking put in some hard work. And yeah. there's no getting around that. So don't put in extra hard work and take away, <laughs> like, don't take away your ability to put in hard work at the, on the things that matter for the things that don't matter. Like, if you want to. Being stronger is going to help you a lot. So put in real hard work in making sure that your hypertrophy work and your strength work is getting you better in that field. Being better aerobically conditioned is going to make you better at recovering between sets for your strength work, um, at recovering between rounds if you're a fighter, at um, allowing you to, um, like we had on the weekend, having a better aerobic fitness means that you can go on the air bike and fucking kill yourself and then get on the air bike again a minute later and fucking kill yourself. Yeah, <laughs> and do it four times in the day, yeah. like slightly different workout, but spread across the day and actually recover and not be a zombie. Mm-hmm. Well, I so, don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you, you did. You did actually look like a zombie, to be fair, mate. I felt pretty terrible. I've seen zombies that weren't the same colour as you. Yeah. Like they had more blood in their face than you at certain points. Actually... I don't know when how you, you turned around from that bail push and yeah. started walking away. That is what you look like. Um, yeah, you were on the dead. <laughs> <laughs> that, was one of, that is potentially one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life. Tom I, is, I Tom is one of the best quicker. athletes I know in person. Yeah. And seeing Tom finish pushing what looks like 30 kilos. a 30 kilo bail <laughs> along the floor and then stand up to run back to Tag Alley to carry something. And she Go, Tom! Run! And Tom, like, honestly, watch Shaun of the Dead if you want to see how fast Tom was <laughs> moving away from me initially. That I've was, never was, seen him broken before. It was quite worrying. That was quite a funny day. That, was that workout was so bad. <laughs> I, wish you, I wish you did more less. Yeah. <laughs> prepared for that one. So there's, there's obviously lots of other things that go into, like, really high-end and optimising conditioning, and we might talk about them in... Um, another podcast and how to like specifically apply some of them like tempos and like actually working at like near um, like threshold paces but they're probably like a little bit out of the scope of this one which is more just about 
just getting the point across that you don't need to absolutely kill yourself all the time mm-hmm. and that the majority of people I know, me and like us included, could probably do with a little bit more easy aerobic work. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like um if you just think about things in terms of let's sort of draw this back to CrossFit a little bit. If you are the strongest um athlete playing like you, you've got the highest deadlift, you've got the highest squat, you've got the highest push, push, press, whatever else, right? And you can um, do work at 70% of your heart rate with the highest um, force in, like the, the highest amount of watts. You'll probably win everything. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So you literally just train two things. I'm going to be as strong as fucking possible and I'm going to work um, aerobically quite anally so that I can produce higher outputs um, on this bike with lowered heart rates. And the only way you're going to do that is by practicing that thing and getting better at that thing. You're probably going to win almost everything because you can, when it comes to performing things in that conditioning session or the actual or the actual games session, you're strong enough to lift the loads and you're fit enough to do it consistently with really, really high quality. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And Obviously, with CrossFit, there's like skill components. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But of like... Course ignoring them from a fitness point of mm-hmm. view like physical qualities absolutely you want to you almost want to train at the extremes don't you right you want to get extremely strong and and have this huge aerobic base then that allows you to display that strength exactly in all those like those areas in the middle mm-hmm. um it's really easy to think about um everyone looks at the ex- the extremes of like our oh, tour de france athletes look like shit and they weigh 70 kilos or 60 kilos and like yeah, they're the elite. They're the best in the world. They Not only do they do all their training to be the best at that thing, they also are born to do that. Mm. Like they're born to not really build much muscle. Mm. They're born to like not have very big upper bodies and have all their muscles sort of like stored around their quads. Do you know what I mean? Like, And then when you look at um, people just like go, oh, look at this sprinter. He's got a great physique. He's born to have a great physique. Like he's a good sprint, like unbelievable athlete. So when you're um, trying to be good at everything, just looking at what the extremes of the physiques are and going, oh, that's what I'm going to look like if I just if if I get better if I get more aerobically fit, I'm going to look like a like a like a marathon runner. It's like, no, just keep lifting weights, and this, you're probably going to look even, you're probably going to look even better. Yeah, but like, that's maybe something like uh, is another like quite a big topic. But people are worried about losing their gains and losing muscle and stuff. It's actually, you don't have to do much work at all in terms of lifting to maintain what you have mm-hmm. while mass while increasing your aerobic base. It really is not going to cause like a detriment to your lifting at all. Yeah. The, the, the amount of volume you have to actually lift over the course of a week to maintain your muscle mass is not that much mm-hmm. at all. Really easy to negate. Well, it's like, just going back to cycle, the Tour de France cycle, like <laughs> people saying they look shit, it's like, they absolutely don't want any muscle mass on their upper body because it just makes them heavier. It makes them worse at their sport. Like, that's not what you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. If you want to be quite fit and also look quite good, you can definitely do both of those things. <laughs> yeah. You Like, it's... For sure. Like, yeah, that just... Yeah, people, people, it's crazy. People create, um, like, false dichotomies around. Yeah. Oh, it's either this or this. And it's like, no, it's yeah. not either this or this. Well, there was, that, there was actually a, a, a study that we'll um, link on... The, the notes for this but um it was very specific in terms of sort of the protocol they used but basically they cycled with one leg and then did some mm-hmm. leg extensions 
and the people that the, the leg that cycled actually had twice as much hypertrophy as the leg that didn't strength was affected a little bit but as a result of probably doing a bit more volume the the leg that had been cycling actually like accrued more muscle tissue so it's it's definitely not the case that if you do more cycling, like you're going to lose muscle mass. Yeah. It's like absolutely not the case. In that study, they, they cycled one leg and then did leg extensions on yeah. that leg afterwards, yeah. didn't they? And then they compared that to just doing the leg extensions. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah. And like, it isn't Which, surprising. Which would be a terrible training program. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Excellent way to set up a study. Yeah. <laughs> Great for quad growth, apparently. <laughs> was it, was it um, on the same person? Uh, so person A cycled and then did leg yeah. extensions on their right leg yeah. and yeah. then just did leg extensions on their left leg. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's interesting, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. But it like, didn't quite cause a crossover. Like, you do this half first and this half and then crossover. And do yeah, do it the other way around. Because they, they um, only did it first as well. Yeah. Who would have been interested to see if they did it after? What measure of hypertrophy did they use? Did they actually measure muscle cross-section like at a given time period? Or was it like, did they measure cell signaling? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I can't remember off the top of my head. We probably did um, cross-sectional cross area. Yeah. Maybe a biopsy. Mm. Biopsy sounds horrible. I would hate to get it. <laughs> That's a biopsy. Can you imagine, right, oh. someone going, do you want to come and do this study for 20 quid? Um, you ride this bike and then I'm going to take a piece of your leg off. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Stick no. this massive needle in your leg. <laughs> I do not want to do that. They have massive needles, aren't they? Uh, the needle is so thick you can look through it. Well, they have to yeah. take a sliver of your muscle oh, out the middle of it, don't they? <laughs> imagine losing your actual mm. muscle. I worked so hard for that. <laughs> <laughs> I cycled it 30, 30 minutes really easily. It's really, really hard to gain that. How much do you reckon it weighs each biopsy base? Point. Not five. Probably less than that. Do you reckon less than that? I know, probably about that. Mm. Yeah, probably gain that back quite quickly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, 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 maybe closer to a, closer to a half a gram. Mm. I feel we've diverged. Like we have yeah. diverged. <laughs> I, feel, I feel we rounded up our podcast excellently and then decided to veer off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Should we re-round up our podcast? <laughs> Go re-round up, mate. Um, so, four... Getting slightly fitter and being able to do a little bit more work over a longer period of time, you probably don't need to bang your head into a brick wall and do more and more HIIT training and loads, loads of circuit training and like CrossFit style workouts. Probably a better idea is to keep your really, really good quality strength work that you're doing and then add in two, maybe three really quite easy aerobic sessions a week. And like our favorite way to do that that we would recommend probably grab a mate and go for a really really easy run potentially even a walk if you think you're quite mm -hmm. unfit go for like a, quite a brisk walk um for like 30 minutes to an hour um or go for a run and maintain a really conversational pace just um real quick um it is always worth considering that you, there's only so much training you can do mm -hmm. and recover from which is why just doing banging your head against a brick wall and doing more hit and doing more like um really really hard stuff just to get a bit fitter is almost always a bad idea because you want like i said before you want to save that hard work to improve like your strength or whatever else um and then you can you can literally do easy work to get fitter yeah. so and, and it won't make you so beat up 
Yep. And it'll probably actually give you a little bit more in the tank to exactly. perform more hard, productive work. Um, so I think that's everything on that. If that was at all useful to you, or you would like us to clarify anything we said, just get in touch on Instagram. Um, and we would be so, so, so grateful if you could share this podcast, give us a nice review, and rate us five stars. Please. That'd be lovely. It'd be so great. And also, thank you to everyone who does share the podcast every week. It means yeah. so much. Thank you very much. And thank you to uh, everyone that came and cheered the boys on. Oh my oh, gosh, yeah. yeah. Should have said that at the start. Having everyone come and, and, and watch us was one of the best things that's ever happened to me in my life. It was so, so lush. Honestly. Yeah, the sport there was amazing. Thank you so much, everyone. And all the messages as well. Yeah. It was lush. It made, made a massive, massive difference. Literally incredible. See you later, guys. Thank bye you bye. very much. Thank bye. You.